Good morning, Westside. It's great to have you uh, joining us online today. Again, I, I look forward to the day when we, all, we can all be back together. I want you to know that the last two weeks of in-person worship has been awesome. Smaller crowds, but it's been awesome. So as soon as you can come back and join us, uh, we would love for you, for you to do that and to be able to share with us uh, in person. If this is your first time or you've been with us just a few weeks, uh, I would encourage you to hit that connect link and that connect button and just connect with us. I would love to be able to send you a gift from the church and just to get to know you a little bit. And we look forward to the day when hopefully you can visit here at Westside as well. Now, we started an amazing journey several weeks ago called One Big Story. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah. And we're going to continue to look at their story for the next two weeks. Because I really believe that as we do, we're going to discover some things that can directly impact our faith in God. Now, I want you to know that over the last couple of weeks as we've been diving into their story, um, I've been listening to a guy by the name of Skip Herzig. And uh, he's a great preacher, and he's really helped me in formulating what I've been uh, talking about, and even today. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for all you do. I just thank you for the fact that even in the midst of all that we're going through today, we can still come before our people and share the gospel. So I pray for open hearts and minds. I pray that my words will be your words. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, over the last 40 years of ministry, I've probably done maybe 150, maybe 200 weddings um, over those years. And let me tell you, they've been all over the place. I've done uh, weddings on the golf course, by pools, in backyards. I had a wedding uh, where the bride actually came down the aisle on a horse. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, in a church? No, we were outside for that one. It was a cowboy theme, and she came down on a horse. So I've had weddings that literally have been all over the spectrum. I had a wedding that actually was held in a bank in front of the vault because they both worked there, and that's where they met. That's where they wanted the wedding, and that was okay. Now, there's one aspect of the ceremony that I've always found interesting. It's the exchange of vows. You know, over the last 40 years, I've heard some crazy vows that some couples chose to write their own. Now, you may be one of those couples. But the standard and traditional vows were the ones that I used the most. And they have this section in them that probably everyone will recognize, but it goes like this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health. Now, I got to thinking, I wonder if they are really listening to all those words that they are saying, or are they so caught up in the love that they have for one another that what they hear is this, better, richer, healthier. Here's the thing. Every relationship is a risk. After all, no one knows what the future will hold. So we take vows to help with our commitment to the unknown. Vows are basically saying, 
Since I don't know what's going to happen to us in the future, I'm going to make a vow to you, a commitment to you, a promise to you and before God and these witnesses that no matter what happens, we are going to be together. Now, as we think about the story of Abraham and Sarah, they had some interesting ups and downs in their marriage and in their lives, some good, some bad. But they are still committed to one another after all these years. As we come into chapter 21, it's kind of the culmination, the peak of all these experiences that, they, that they've had. The 25-year wait is over, and now the promised son has been born. You see, this is the better, the, the richer, the healthier part of life. And this promised son brings them incredible joy. And the home is filled with incredible laughter. I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the name Isaac actually means laughter. Now, there are three things that happened to Abraham in chapter 21 that kind of prepares him for the future. First of all, when Isaac is around three years old, Abraham throws him a party. It's, it's kind of a, actually a, a crazy thing because it's a party to celebrate the fact that he's now been weaned uh, off his mother. But it's a party nonetheless. And it doesn't set well with the 17-year-old son, Ishmael. Sarah saw Ishmael making fun of Isaac. And so at Sarah's request, Abraham basically kicks Hagar and, and Ishmael to the curb. Now, Abraham didn't want to necessarily do this, but God said, no, you need to listen to Sarah. The second thing that happens is this. Abraham gets in a dispute with a guy by the name of Abimelech over a well. They finally come to an agreement, and he names the place Beersheba, which means well of the oath. And then thirdly, in verses 33 and 34, Abraham begins a time of preparation. Look what it says. Then Abraham, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he worshiped the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham lived as a foreigner in Philistine country for a long time. Now, a tamarisk tree is basically like our evergreen trees. And when somebody planted a tree, it meant that they were going to stay there for a while. In fact, they were probably going to stay long enough so that that tree could provide shade. Now, let's go back just for a moment to the wedding analogy that I started with. I think every couple that gets married has in their minds a picture of what they think the perfect marriage will be like. I mean, maybe that's why they, they focus on the better and the richer and the healthier as they take their vows. But as soon as the problems begin to raise their ugly heads, they start the blame game. And they forget that they are both imperfect people. So now they're confronted with a choice. Because either they tear up the perfect picture and accept the person for who they are, or they tear up the person in favor of the perfect picture that they have in their mind. Now, that same idea is also found in our walk with God. Because many people have a picture in their mind of what it means to come to Jesus. In other words, what God is going to do, how he is going to bless the better, the richer, the healthier. And so what happens is 
when the circumstances or situations come into their lives that are troubling, that are difficult, that are hard to deal with, guess what? Man, they simply fall away. They fall off the radar. All of a sudden, they stop coming to church. They maybe stop reading their Bible. You've seen them, and you may have even been them. Now think about all that Abraham and Sarah have been through. It was the furthest thing from a perfect picture. And there were a lot of times when they went the wrong way. I mean, just think about the Hagar incident. But in spite of that, they continued to have faith. They continued to develop their faith. But as we come into chapter 22, Abraham's faith is getting ready to be tested like it has never been tested before. Let's start with verse 1 in chapter 22. This is what it says. Sometime later, now I've capitalized that for emphasis. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I just want to take for a moment that phrase, sometime later. You see, like I said a moment ago, Abraham spent his time in the Philistine country being prepared by God for this time of testing. God didn't just give it to him without preparing him. Now, we don't know how long that time period was. It just says back in verse 34, chapter 21, that we read that Abraham stayed a long time. Now, we also don't know how old Isaac was. Some believe that he was around 10, year old, 10 years old, which would have met, meant that Abraham probably had stayed seven or eight years. Others believe that he was a teenager. And Josephus, one of the early church historians, says that he could have been around 25 years old. But however long it was, it was long enough for him to rest and for him to be prepared by God for what God was going to take him through. Now, I say that because the truth is, some of you right now are afraid of what God may allow in your life or ask you to do. And you hear stories like Abraham, and you say, but I could never handle that like he did. Or you see people that you know that have gone through difficult times and they've made it through and you say, I just don't think I can do that. And let me tell you, the truth is right now you may not be able to. Why? Because you haven't been prepared. You see, Abraham could go through what he is about to go through because God had prepared him. There's an old Yiddish proverb that says, God sends burdens, but he also sends shoulders to help bear them with. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Here's what I believe. I believe that with the storms comes the capacity to weather those storms. Did you get that? With the storms that come in life also comes the capacity to weather those storms. And so the question for you and me is this, what is God preparing you for today that you will face tomorrow, next week, next month, or maybe two years from now? The hardships, the headaches, the heartaches, the trials, as well as the blessings that will follow. What is God preparing you for 
that's going to strengthen your faith. Now let's keep reading. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I love how Abraham does that. Here I am. Let's look at that word tested for a moment. Now, the original King James uses the word tempt, but the better translation is test or, or tested. You see, the word means to prove value, to prove or to show worth of something. The book of James tells us that God doesn't tempt us. He tests us, but Satan is the one who tempts. So here's the distinction that we have to understand and make in our minds, and it's this. Satan tempts to destroy your faith. God tests to develop your faith. Satan tempts to bring out the worst in us. God tests to bring out the best in us. Maybe that's why James writes in the first chapter, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Here's the thing. The real indicator of where your faith is is not how you handle the good times of life, but it's how you handle the times of testing. That's what really tells you where your faith is and the strength of that faith. I love what author Anne Camel once said. She said, living by faith in God is like jumping out of a plane at 10,000 feet, and if God doesn't catch you, you go splat. But how do you know if he will catch you unless you jump? Wow, I love that. How do you know he will catch you unless you jump? Abraham is about to take a 10,000-foot leap of faith because this test will touch the most sensitive nerve in Abraham's life, his son, Isaac, the one that all of God's promises are wrapped up in. Let's read on. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. And we'll talk more about that region next week. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, to be real honest, this just seems so completely contrary to the character and the nature of God, doesn't it? I mean, there's not one instance in the Bible of God requiring a human sacrifice, and yet that's what God is basically saying. I mean, think about that. Now, I want you to know that as a dad, this speaks to my heart. Why? Because I have two boys, and I don't know if I could have done what Abraham was about to do. So as we think about Abraham's situation, he had a dilemma here it is. The promise that God gave requires that Isaac lives, right? Think about it. The promise that God gave requires that Isaac lives. After all, how can his descendants be as the stars in the sky if he has none? So the promise that God gave requires that Isaac lives. The command that God gave requires that Isaac dies. 
And so the question is why? Why would God do this? Why would he test him in this way? Well, I think the bottom line was this. This command is asking the question, who do you love more? Who do you love more, your precious promised son or or me? And will you love me even if it costs you your son? Now look how Abraham responds in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Again, you have to love his faith. But it's going to be a three-day journey with a lot of unanswered questions. Now, when they get to the region of Moriah, in verse 5, Abraham says this to his servants. Look what it says. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, let me point out a couple things here before we close this morning. First of all, Abraham was going to take Isaac up on the mountain where he would build an altar for Isaac to be placed on as a sacrifice in obedience to God. And even though Isaac represented all his future hopes and the promises of God, he was willing to be obedient to his God. You see, Abraham saw his obedience as an act of worship. And it was here in the worship of God that he was willing to surrender his best to God. Here's something that we need to take to heart. I love this. If we could learn to turn the hard situations of life into altars of worship where we pause and reflect on God's character and on God's power, it would change our perspective on those situations and on those circumstances. So why don't we do that? Why don't, why don't we do that? Why don't we change our perspective? Why don't we see those as, as opportunities for worship to our God because of who he is? Well, it's because of this. We tend to gaze at our circumstances and then kind of glance at God. Did you get that? We tend to gaze at our circumstances and then just simply glance at our God. And let me tell you, if you are ever going to turn your circumstances into altars of worship, then you've got to start glancing at your circumstances and you've got to start gazing upon God. Now, the second thing I want to point out is this, and it's in the last part of that verse where it says, we will come back to you. You get that? We will come back to you, not I will come back to you. We will come back to you. Do you hear the faith in those words? He doesn't know what God is going to do or how it's going to happen, but he trusts God enough to know that they will both be back. You know, as I thought about that, I wonder if the night before, as Abraham is lying in his tent trying to sleep, if something didn't happen in his heart and his mind, where all of a sudden it hit him 
And it gave him the answer that he needed because he was focusing on the character and the power of God. Now, it doesn't say that here in this chapter in Genesis, but in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, in chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, it tells us that Abraham reasoned to himself that God could bring his son back from the dead. Now, that word reason means to calculate. It's to compute. It's to logically reason through, the, through to a conclusion. And based on this, I can only imagine that Abraham began to logically think through who he knew God to be. He began to think through God's character and begin to think through God's power. And maybe he thought, God, you gave me a promise that we would miraculously have a son, a son that would bless the world and whose descendants would be as the stars in the sky. And here's that promised son. But now, God, you gave me a command that requires that I kill the promised son. So that either means, God, that you are unfaithful, a liar, and can't be trusted. And I know that's not true because that's not who you are. Or it can only mean that if I plunge this knife in the heart of the promised son, you will resurrect him. You will bring him back to life. Abraham believed that there was nothing that God couldn't do. He believed that God would keep his promise. That's why faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. Even when the story doesn't make sense. So let me ask you, what do you do when you're faced with something that doesn't make any sense? That it's not logical? Do you gripe? Do you complain? Do you get mad at others and get mad at God? I mean, what do you do? Well, here's what you need to do. You need to reason through it based on the character of God, who you know him to be, and then jump. And then jump. And let him catch you. Remember, you won't know if God will catch you unless you jump. Now, I want to stop right here today, but next week I want to finish this section and to finish looking at this sacrifice of Isaac because I believe we can learn some things about how God provides and how God takes care of us. But there's some other things that we need to be looking at next week that I'm going to share with you as a family that are very important for us to understand as a church for us to move forward. So let me encourage you. I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know where your faith is, but I do know we have a God whose character and whose power is something that needs to be focused on. And as you go through those struggles of life, just reason logically through who God is and who you know him to be, because I know that that will help you as you continue to develop your faith. But if you just need to talk with someone, then you just hit that connect link, and I would love to connect with you and talk with you. Let me encourage you again to make sure you're here next week, either in person or online, because next week is very critical and very important for the life of Westside. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for what you've done. We just are, God, we just love you so much. And we know, God, it's hard when circumstances and difficulties come. We know these times of testing can sometimes be overwhelming, but what we have to remember is you have prepared us when those tests come. And we just have to stay in tune with you so we can begin to see that process. Thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.